Hi and welcome to Quick Click Podcast for Thursday the 1st of April. Coming up is the weekly waffle, about a 45 minute chat between myself, Giacomo, Inigo, Nathan, Katie and Lance. We discussed the past week's action. Obviously we recorded this on Wednesday evening. It was just before the news that Paris-Roubaix had been postponed until the weekend of October 2nd and 3rd. On today's show, uh, we discuss the past week of racing, we did talk about uh, Vinny Zabu and their doping control problems, and then we tackle the notion of having respect within the pro peloton. Here it is, and we'll be back tomorrow on Friday for a normal show. A little disclaimer, it does get a bit effy and jeffy towards the end, it's only the odd F-bomb dropped here and there, but there are slightly more than usual, uh, but I'll blame the uh, bottle of wine that was consumed here at Quicklink Towers. Anyway, that shouldn't put you off. Here's 45 minutes of waffle. So it's our weekly waffle. It is uh, it's the 31st of March today. This will probably come out on the 1st of April. We can briefly talk about the days racing and the, and the last few days. It's not something we want to focus on massively because obviously we've done daily shows since then. Um, Dwarsdorf Flanderen today. Gent Wervergum at the weekend. Uh, uh, just throw your thoughts out there, people. Uh, Vela Games team in the mud yet again. Uh... Matty Vanderpool was my top pick, and he uh, completely bottled it. Uh, and I'm fuming, basically. Uh, but he did wear white shorts, so um, I'll let him off for that. Yeah, that's a pass. That's ten points. <laughs> the best thing he did all day. Oh, well, he did drag Tim Melier up to that uh, chase group back up to. Sorry, the second chase group back up to the uh, lead group today. I think that was a that was a big turn with about fifteen hundred meters to go. Yeah, fair play to him for like turning up on the day and like not uh, just like realizing that he didn't have the legs and then doing doing something for the team. Um, unless a man would have just got dropped and said "see you later." Um, so fair kudos to him for that. But um, but yeah, a bit of a shame, you know. It doesn't bode well for Tora Flanders, you could say. Or does it? Nah, he'll be all right by then. He'll be all right by then. I think it was it was a I case think, of poker face today. I think he, he might just... actually take some pressure off Matty Van der Poel for um. Tour of yeah. Flanders because everyone doesn't expect much of him after what he's showed today. With Wout winning um, in Ghent Wevelgem, I think that's throwing the pressure back on him in a way. Yeah. Yeah, that's a very good sign. I think if uh, Van der Poel was in and up there today, that's, a, that's throwing your attention back on to, to him when he doesn't really need it. Do you reckon it was a bit of poker face today or whether it was just. He didn't. Uh, he didn't look comfortable, so I don't yeah. think it was a complete bluff. But I think it was uh, a bad day mixed with a bit of I'll I'll bluff to this just to help the team do a little bit better. You're all right. I was just going to say I, th- I think there was a fair bit of that. It seemed as though there was a fair bit of that going on today. Just people just sort of easing back and and maybe not giving it the full beans. Not everybody, obviously, but it felt a bit less um, explosive than. Some of the, like, for example, the E3 on Friday, and which is just like insane. Yeah, yeah, full, the full gas all the way. So today, over that, uh, into that last feed group, when he came out the other side, he looked, he looked cooked. Uh, and maybe that was the point where uh, Vanderpool just said, yeah, to himself, like, well, there's, there's no point racing for this and blowing up. You know, let's coast home, do what I can. And still, yeah. still pulled off a decent result for Alps and Fenix, obviously grabbing third with Tim Mullier. Do we read too much into this? I mean, they can't be expected to win every race, can they? No. Or can't... No. Hmm. 
I think, no, I think would, it's just one of those days, you know. Not it everyone would can kill them you. both. I think both Van Aert and Van der Poel, it would kill them to try and win every single race they turn up to. I mean, Alaphilippe was nowhere today. You kind of saw him a little bit, but there was not the same Dakota quick step that turned up to E3 as well. They were hardly... They weren't they had a bad day at the dominant. office, didn't they? Mm. I think everyone did. Except, except, blew up really except early, obviously huh? Dylan Van Bala. Yeah. yeah, it was quite it was quite fun. Um, was it? I think it was uh, uh, Teo's story. Uh, apparently, they were they were WhatsApp messaging him like uh, the weekend. He, and he was saying like his legs feeling good, might have a go on, uh, might have a go for Tour of Flanders, like might have an attack, and obviously it happened like it happened today. So fair play to him. Yeah, he's, he's looked a lot better this year than he has before. He's had a good run in the classics building up to it. So today is just proof that he can be up there, I think. And after quite a... Uh, not a disappointing... I mean, yeah, okay, let's say disappointing until today. Classics campaign for Ineos so far. But, I mean, since today's a standard... I mean, they're not really a classics team, are they? No, I, I thought I, I really did think that this year would be the year they'd, they'd step it up and be able to get them. You know, now I've got Ghana, obviously Pickock as well. Um, I really thought that this year would be the year where they could really get that, that big win that they need. Um, I thought that was the. I actually thought that was the goal coming into the year. I seem to remember Jim Ratcliffe saying something about Pyru Bay at the beginning of the season, maybe. Um, I really, so I really thought they'd push on, but it just hasn't really happened. Uh, I'm still, I'm, I'm not convinced it will happen for the rest of the classic. Um, I mean, they're not. <laughs> They're not nowhere. I mean, uh, well, Pidcock third at Kern Brussels Kern, and then uh, Bernal and Pidcock third and fifth at Strada Bianca. So they're definitely in the mix, but it's, I don't think we can really expect a Grand Tour team to go to um, Grand Tours and Classics and dominate every single form of cycling. No, it's true. I think definitely progress, as you say, definitely uh, progress has been made. Um, it's, they're definitely not. They're not where they were like five years ago. But um, yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely right. It's quite hard for one team to do it all. Because I think Ineos ride um, the classics kind of the same way they ride up the mountains in the um, Grand Tours. They basically just sit on the front and drill it so nobody can attack. Yeah, and it's quite difficult making uh, wispy Colombians into Paris Bay Hardmen, I guess. <laughs> Jonathan Narvaez had a good crack, didn't he? What? Which one was? I'm sure there was one where he had a really good crack. That was Kern versus Kern. He went with Vanderpool. Yeah, that's right. He's got a bit more about him, I think, um, than just a you know a mountain man. He's got some more toughness. Yeah, he had a very good ride. Like, I think like the first Ecuadorian to race at, at in Belgium or other classics or something like that. So I thought that was that was that was pretty impressive as well. You're right. Yeah. Good lad. And, and Van Baal's been pretty consistent, I'd say. Obviously, got his win today, but he's been really good throughout the classics, actually. Uh, one team that were back on the start list, they were Bora Hans Grower, uh, along with uh, Trek Sega Fredo. They obviously had a little bit of a, a sit out with uh, some COVID tests in their team. Um, but the, G, uh, the GM of Bora within the week was saying that he could probably uh, find some better places to spend the money than Peter Sagan. Is I've that... got to agree with that. I think I think they've Peter Sagan. With no disrespect to him, I think his form has clearly gone a little bit downhill in the last year, and I think Bora have very capable riders which can do well at Grand Tours. They've got oh, what's his name? 
the German German one. Uh, Max Schachmann. Schachmann. Yeah, they've got Schachmann. He uh, won. He's been yeah. up there in the top right. ten, and I think if they just build a better train or at least put more effort uh, into that train rather than a sprint one, um, I think they could be doing really well and getting consistent top fives. But it comes to say that they didn't. They signed him knowing this. Um, I, I don't know why they're. I mean, uh, Sagan was third uh, in the points classification at Catalonia. He won a stage. He was fourth at Milan San Remo. This seems a very weird time of year to be spouting the stuff that they could just f- he, fuck him off for next year. Is this Ralph Denk that said that? Uh, yes. Yeah. He said last week that he'd buy the whole of De Kern and Quick Step just to get Remco Avenapol. Yeah. So he's obviously is, already. He's, is yeah. that where that £6 million is going? Hmm. <laughs> is it maybe just like headline mongering? Does he just want to get publicity? Or is he just trying to negotiate a lower contract for next time Sagan signs? I think he's just a nutter. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, so Sagan uh, signed with Bora in 2017. He's won three green jerseys at the Tour, uh, took the third World Championships in their race. Uh, sorry, the third World Championship race in their colours. He's won 25 pro races for them. Um. I think he's doing it right, isn't he? I like by sta- any standards of any regular pro rider, I think that's pretty outstanding. But when you're Peter Sagan and you're theoretically this sort of well, no, I think generational rider is probably a bit bit strong. But like you're a serious, serious talent. I, I, I think it's fair to expect a little bit more, certainly for the money they're paying for him. Uh, this goes back to like the Froome thing. Is that where Israel startup nation obviously are paying through the nose for Chris Froome because he's earned it. Is this the same with Sagan? Because uh, you'll get you know the usual commentators on uh, cyclingnews.com and on their Twitter and all that kind of stuff when uh, salaries are revealed, saying, "Oh, you know, he's doing nothing this year." Blah blah blah. But when you're the best in the world, you get paid the best in the world, right? That is exactly. true. <clears throat> Although I would argue that what Froome has done outweighs anything Sagan's done by a good two or three times. Because I think Sagan has won three world championships and multiple green jerseys at the tour but then when you go past that there's stages of races um flanders roubaix that's an excellent pro but is that the same is that worth the same amount of money that you're paying a five-time world uh, tour de france winner not the same it's it's not just about wins though is it it's about status and about experience and everything else that somebody brings to the team it's it's the job isn't just bringing in wins I mean, it's that's a big part of it. But think about if you had Chris Froome on a team like Israel Startup Nation, that's huge for the guys coming through and obviously for sponsorship. Yeah, the sponsorship thing I can totally see. He, I uh, bet he, uh, he does. Obviously, you always see him in the, in the specialized adverts, let alone all the other stuff. So that is fair. But um, I, I, yeah, all I'm trying to say, I guess, I sort of understand where Ralph Dank's coming from. I think. It also seems a weird thing this time of year that what is he expecting Sagan to have done since 10 weeks ago? Because he had COVID. He, he, he kind of <laughs> yeah. needs to be cut a little bit of slack. But He won a stage yeah. last week, so it's like yeah. he's done reasonably well given that he wasn't full, fully fit the first few weeks. Yeah, it seems very odd posturing this time of year ahead of 
other teams looking at... So I think Sagan's uh, contract runs out at the end of this year. So I think it's very odd posturing in a kind of like football agent way where you try and get your guy a move, you know, next transfer window. Is he trying to engineer him out the door? Yeah, he'd be pretty bold if he is. Pretty a bad move. Hot, I think yeah. he's got a lot still to offer, obviously. Like, it's really weird. Could it come down to the fact that they can't afford Sagan anymore? I mean, it's and a lot of money. If, if they are paying him six million euros a year, you know, you can pick up two, three, you know, four, five breakout guys for that. Because, I mean, what, Van der Poel's on two million a year and Van Aert's on two and a half. So, <laughs> when you put it into that sort of context. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's not the same as fellow games, is it? Well, no. <laughs> <laughs> but I think either they need to pay cuts again, but then again, is it, if they can afford it, and Sagan improves his, his performances to the same level that he used to be, then he's definitely worth that money for them. But then it's just to come down to the fact, do they want to keep paying him? Yeah, he may have well outgrown the money that they get from sponsors in. Yeah, a bit like Sergio Aguero at Manchester City, I bring it back to football. It was obviously his, his contract's up at the end of this year and Manchester City in the last couple of days have said, nope, that's it, on he goes. They must be paying him an absolute fortune and has done great stuff for them, but wages out have gone past money in. I think that's a very shrewd move by City. I think that, that that's just really good. I think it's just really good business. You know, he's one of players not quite where he once was. Said, right, thanks for all you've done. See you later. I think that's what Boris Hansgrove might, might be thinking about doing. And do you reckon Boris saying that they might get... Uh... Juraj Sagan off the books as well. Yeah, I, th- I thought they were a package. I thought it was six million for both of them. Don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's probably five point nine 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 million for one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it just seemed an uh, odd time of year to to say it ahead of ahead of Flanders. Maybe it's motivation. Maybe it's in trying to kick him up the ass from uh, the media. Maybe I don't know. Well, let's move on to... Well, to reverse psychology, maybe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, could well be. Uh, let's move on to another topic. So, moving on to something slightly more murky with the news that Vini Zabu have had a second doping fail in the last six months with uh, Matteo De Bonis failing a drugs test on the f- uh, 16th of February for EPO. That should trigger an automatic... Ban for Vinizabu between 15 to 45 days. Um, we're 37, 38 days out from the Giro. It's not looking good for everyone's favourite social media darlings. No, it's pretty, uh, pretty, pretty dire straits for them. I think um, I've been. Uh, I've. Uh, well, I'd actually have to know one of the riders out here who um, um, on the team, and he got visited by the police yesterday. Um, they went and sort of did interview, did a little search. Uh, nothing, which nothing came of it, but I think they're doing that with all the riders um, on the team. Um, and as far as and as far as he knows, uh, the guys talking to he's saying that the team they haven't been told anything. They're sort of just waiting to see what happens for the next couple of days. Um, but it's pretty serious. One thing he did add that it, that 
the rider, Dr. Bonis, um, was very clear that he was acting on his own accord. It's not like he, it wasn't something that the, uh, it wasn't like an, it's not like a, it's a, a team run thing. It was very much, he was very clear that it was De Bonis that did it on his own. And, um, but yeah, yeah, not, not, not good. Not good. So the news coming out this morning, uh, this is Wednesday, was the, uh, the Italian police had raided uh, the uh, the homes of uh, the team uh, the team GM Angelo Citratka and uh, DS Luca Cinto, as well as twenty three other residences, which probably belonged to the various riders out there. Um, bit of a gutter for me. I was, as you know, I did a bit of work for the the Canyon team over here with Dan Pearson, having just been announced as one of their riders. Having, I mean, obviously that move was made in the new year, but he's just gone out to move to the team. Um, yeah, that's got to yes. be going, hasn't it? Getting yeah. in and suddenly your team get banned. <laughs> yeah. But would you not think with, since 2009, this is now seven riders that have fallen foul of their doping control? It's and, murky. It's yeah. bad. And I know we've talked about this on, uh, on live chat with people who aren't here and I like, have cut out is it a bit of one of those untalked about secrets? Uh, I, I don't want to believe it. I don't want, I don't want to believe it. And I think the Prella Peloton has got a lot better. Um, I, I've, I've, said, I've said it, I've said it before. I may, may have been on the recording or may not have been, but I'll say it anyway. I think uh, it was in, I was watching one of Dowsis, one of YouTube, one of his YouTube videos, apparently on the, cause of course he has, uh, what does he have? Hemophilia. Hemophilia, that's yeah. it. And he, of course, has to inject himself for um, his medication, which is perfectly legal. Uh, like, no, there's no, no, no question about that. And apparently, he was like in his in the room on the bus, and obviously uh, taking his medication. Riders were like looking at him, thinking, looking at him, and saying, "What on earth are you doing? Stop doing that! That's outrageous! You can't do that." Um, and I feel like that that testimonial, I think that gives me a bit more confidence. Um, I think the pros are a lot more aware that it's just not the right thing to do it's clear that there is some form of doping going on in the peloton it's clear that there's something going on but i don't think it's quite nearly as institutionalized as it was 20 years ago you would have thought that uh, the latest rider uh debonis uh, it's one of those where the the previous suspension was in the middle of last year's giro um what was his name uh, matteo Ficho. Uh, tested positive for Osterine, which is an anabolic steroid, which, um, if you're losing weight rapidly, can help reduce muscle wastage. So you're thinking of uh, people in long-term comas who aren't active, obviously are losing weight and losing muscle. That, that, that anabolic agent helps co- combat that. Um, that's, these aren't something that I don't think these aren't things that people just do on their own. And given the team history now, there must be serious fingers pointed at them. And I like the team. They are very funny on social media. However, there is now a very big case saying this is systemic within Vinny Zabu. He's certainly worrying. Uh, I can only say to what I've spoken to the, one of the riders that on the team that I've spoken to. All I can say is that he knows nothing of it, as far as as far as he told me. Um, there's nothing suspect. He he's totally doesn't have any 
secrets, as you could say. Um, I don't know if it's maybe like a, a quarter of the team or there's a section, I don't know. Um, it's, yeah, it's just, it's just worrying. Um, it doesn't, it certainly doesn't make look good for the Bizabi and the Giro for sure. No, so the last time that happened was uh, Bardiani CSF, who were uh, eventually booted out. Was that the 2018? Maybe they had a couple of, had a couple and were suspended. Um, the Giro starts in 38 days. UCI suspension will be between 15 and 45. However, it does take them forever to obviously process these things, obviously with you know due process and uh, legal restrictions. Quite rightly, people are having to argue their case if they are innocent. Could we see uh, Androni Giacatoli Sidemek popping up? They must fucking love it, mustn't they? Oh, if there's one, if there's one team to get to get the call up, it ha- I'd love it to be Androni. They're well, they're my they're one of my favourite Italian team, uh, favourite teams are the Peloton. Actually, they're just like I love the way they ride. <laughs> I love their um, the manager. Uh, what's his name? What I love about that team is they attack whenever they feel like Sad, it, and it's yeah. not like too over like strategied, if you like, because <laughs> yeah. they're not the biggest team. So as long as you just look sick in front of the camera, get the odd <laughs> like good result, and just yeah. just end. I know it sounds like obviously they're riding super hard, but they stand out in their own way, and I like that. That's the team they stuck two in the break at San. Uh, at- San Remo. When we talk about Strada Bianchi, so they're they're always on TV. I mean, RCS were like, nah, nah, we don't want teams to just stick it in the break all day. Um, no, no, we do. We want Jordan Jordan yeah. Catley to be stuck in the break all day. <laughs> exactly. I, they might not have my choice. To win the win the, the the what is it? Whatever is it? The breakaway competition. Mm. Um, no, I, I if Vinny Zabu get banned, it's I'm definitely going for. Uh, uh, a wild card for Vinny's uh, Andrea Catley for sure. You would have thought, although it would be quite mad bants if uh, Vinny Zabu do get banned and Androni don't get it. Oh, that, that would be the biggest <laughs> middle finger for RTS you ever see. <laughs> so, so from dopers to dickheads, Nasser <laughs> Buhani on Sunday. Uh, that was a. Christ. Yeah, that was a dick move. Who wants no, to talk us through it? Thing. I want to say one thing about that. Actually, no. One amongst many. Um, obviously, it was like a pathetic move, but I think the last little wobble, it generally looked like he was a bit off balance, but like the rest of it was just utterly pathetic. So. Yeah, I can't lie. He did come out and say that it wasn't intentional, and having watched it, the last, on the, when they were literally sprinting in the final 200, I don't think it was literally, I'm going to push Jake Stewart out of the way. But it's the pushing beforehand that like, in the last kilometre, he's li- there's there's pictures of him just like shoulder barging him like three or four times. Like you knew Jake Stewart was there. Uh, yeah, not good. He needs to get banned. And what Jake Stewart said about it uh, in Rilla, I think he's saying that it's as bad as what Groenewegen supposedly did to Jakobsen, if not worse. Just didn't have the same outcome. So yeah, that's it's just and also it's not exactly like Buani's got a clean record. So yeah, yeah. I think it bans it's the right thing to do here. Yeah, like I, I agree, like he just shouldn't have put himself in the situation where he's gonna be having to overcorrect the the snap of oversteer if you like that much. Like just ride in a straight line, you know. 
Yeah. It, it, it's really sad because it could have been a podium for Jake Stewart, if not victory. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it probably was a podium. Uh, so Buhani finished third over the line. I think uh, Jakey Stewart would have probably had his will. Um, yeah, you look at second behind Viviani. And both both of their momen- momentums, well, that being Latin, like momenti or something, got messed up. <laughs> yeah, so, like, it could have been potentially even higher than podium. Oh, well, you know what I mean. The super podium. It's so good, he just has to retire immediately. <laughs> Obviously, uh, Jakey Stewart out on Sunday with a broken metacarpal, which it's his second metacarpal. So if you if you hold your left hand up now in front of you, uh, so on the left-hand side of your thumb, the bone that goes into your index finger on your left hand is that one there. The one in the hand goes up to your finger. That one there. That's... So obviously that's the one you would bend the most as you're gripping the hoods and flicking your shifters, that one. Yeah, that's a bit of a biology lesson for you. Just there, Gray. I didn't know that. That's quite right. Yeah, that's your that's your second metacarpal. No, Jake's just gonna he's gonna ride and just ride the entire race in big ring. <laughs> he's an absolute <laughs> machine. Just flipping the bird at Bahani all the way around <laughs> because yeah, that's the one. His third metacarpal. Metatarsal. Metacarpal. Fuck. Car- carpal. <laughs> Tarsals are in your feet. Carpals in your feet. Should yeah, know from know. being from supporting England for like however many years. <laughs> Talking of England, second half's just about to start. Is it? How are they doing? One nil up. Uh, yeah, so one nil up. One okay. nil up. Yep. That's good. A win's a win, isn't it? That's, is that how it works? Let's finish with something that came to mind a few days ago. Before we were going to do the waffle on Monday, I was listening to the Geraint Thomas Cycling Club podcast from last week, and they were chatting to Sam Bennett, and he mentioned the notion of respect within the pro peloton which seems something we're probably all familiar with we get the idea uh youngsters give you know give up the will to do better and older guys but it made me think why um if i can give you some quotes from sam bennett who you know he seems a decent enough lad he said i give you the room i expect the same back and they said if i'm following the jersey of my teammate i expect to be given that wheel if you don't give me that wheel, then it's your own fault for getting in the way. And that's just the way it is. You don't take somebody else's lead out. Which made me think, if you're racing, uh, say, say you're a Neo Pro racing uh, you know, against these boys for the first time, and you've got on the wheel of, say, uh, Seneschal for the lead out, or um, Michael Murko, that's probably a better idea, and you've got on his wheel, well, haven't you learned the right to be there? Why should you be giving it up to Sam Bennett just because he's older and better than you if you've earned the right to be there it comes down to the fact that if you're racing like buhani and you're pushing and shoving and headbutting people to get out of the way and then getting onto the back of somebody else's train that's when i think that rule comes into um fruition but when it's you genuinely earned the right to be there and bennett's nowhere near then you have every right to take advantage of that um that lead up Talking about specifically in sprint situations, just generally. I mean, it's uh, an unwritten rule that the yellow jersey in the tour has got free reign of the peloton. Which, yeah, you understand that because it's uh, the leader of the race and you always respect that. But 
as soon as it comes down to just sprinting and you want to beat the best in the world in the minute, that is Sam Bennett. Of course, you're going to try something to disrupt the train. That's something that Sam Bennett also said uh, just after he won. Say, but bear in mind, he won this stage. It was uh, stage five at Paris Nice. He said, for some reason, I'm not left to follow my own wheel. Guys are coming in and it seems like they just want to disrupt our sprint instead of concentrating on their own race. We don't look at anyone else, so I don't know why they're getting so fixated on us. Maybe my teammates are too strong. But- I, it's, it's awful because you can see, I can sort of see both sides of the argument. I see where Sam's coming from in the, same, in the sense that like, theoretically, if you're going to win a bike race, you're going to win it off your own legs instead of being like, tactically like, outplaying the other guy. But then if you then you go into the shoes of the other guy. You look, he, Sam Bennett has a point. You look at a Kenny Quakes and they are the best, one of the best lead outs in the peloton. And so you would oh, sort of oh, thought, think, oh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> you'd think that um, you'd want, if you wanted to win the race, you'd just sort of follow what they do. It, it's tricky. It comes down to no, what, um, I go on, Kate, you go on, you go. It's cool. It's, um, I think it boils down to the fact of um, it goes back to what Cavendish was saying in uh, the HEC days. Just the team's too strong and everyone gets used to that particular team winning and they try and do everything they can to kind of make them feel uncomfortable and that's when they're the most vulnerable. And that's when you saw Cavendish actually getting beaten by Pataki and um, other times... And even when it was to mention data, he's getting beaten by Kittle week in, week out. I think it's like some, you know, some sprinters aren't going to have their lead outs with them for whatever reason. Um, just an example, recent example that crops up in my mind is uh, the UAE tour. Um, David Decker from Yumpa Visma, great sprinter, um, definitely one for the future. And he's oh, yeah, yeah. not Two- got a sprint train he's, because... Yumba Visma aren't organised. They don't have the sprint train sorted out yet. It's early in the season. He's too fast. He doesn't have a Michael uh, Merkov or anyone to bring him up. So he's finding a good wheel and getting on it. And it's, it's like a lone wolf. You know, you've got to, he's got to take his chances. So does he not have the right to take the Koenig wheel because they are more organised? Is that what we're saying? Is that the sort of unwritten rule? That's how, that's how Cavendish when that's how he started winning races because the team he was stronger in sprints than the team so he just started being a jumpy sprinter disrupting trains and mm. then just out sprinting them in a straight sprint another quote from um sammy bennett on on that uh episode with Geraint thomas we said sorry uh Geraint said uh, that's an unwritten rule isn't it you just don't jump in somebody else's line and then Sam said, absolutely not. You just don't let it happen. If you let it happen, then they're going to just do it again and again. Which makes me think, well, if you're losing the wheel mm. and someone else has gained it off you, then they have the right to be there because it's, it's, it's not like they've just turned up off the street. They're, they've earned the right to race that race with their team and they've beaten you off the wheel. But they're openly admitting there then that it's their yeah. pro- it's their problem. They have to keep their own train together. <laughs> yeah. So what's the problem? Yeah. And then they only demand respect after they've bullied their way to the front, and now just demand it off everybody else. Which I thought. I mean, I like Sammy Bennett. He seems a nice enough dude. But it just seemed. Oh, 
well, now I'm the best. You lot can all fuck off. There's an element of um, it depends on who's doing it. If the um, main sprinter has lost their team, they've got every single right in the pro peloton to either jump on, say, De Koenig's train and wheel suck Sam Bennett to the finish or try and just make Sam Bennett feel uncomfortable because every time Bennett's made uncomfortable, it's not, he's not um, winning in a straight sprint normally because he does, like in the welter when he shoulder barged that um, Trek Segafredo rider, I think that's what he was kind of referring to, that Trek and De Koenig were side by side and Trek were trying to unsettle him. Yeah, but I think on the flip side of that, where he's coming from is that Trek shouldn't be trying to unsettle him in the first place and they should be trying to win the race because they've got the better rider instead of trying to outthink the other guy. But then there does, there does come a point where you actually look at the strength of De Koenig and Sam Bennett. He's an unbelievable sprinter. And you actually have to look at your sprinter and say, can you beat Sam Bennett in a straight sprint? Hands down, no qualms about it. If the answer is no, then you have to look at how can we race this smarter to either unnerve Bennett or unnerve the team to maybe make a mistake, maybe go too early. And then you can take advantage of that because if you've got two riders that are out and out the best sprinters in the world, say Bennett and Ackerman or Bennett and Ninzolo, of course you're going to have a straight sprint between them and they're going to respect each other. But if you've got a, a slightly slower sprinter, that's when the tactical game comes into it and you actually have to look at who races the smartest to get to the finish line. You make a good, I see where you're coming from and I think you make a good point. Um, I do think that the lead-out training is quite important in the, the finishing sprinter. So, I mean, like, in a straight sprint, if you've got, like, I don't know, Caleb Ewan, Sam Bennett, or Mano Mano head-to-head, I think Sam Bennett wins because kind of got a better train. Whereas if you flip the trains, I think Caleb wins because he's on the G's and the Dekanic train. Um, I think it's also one of the reasons that FTJ was so successful at the Giro with um, Ana Demar. It's because their leader trade was the best, but quite hands down. Um, and it meaning that none of the other riders could really get around to him, despite being maybe better. Um, or not, as the case may be. But um, yeah, I think there are cases for both arguments. Um, it's very easy to, to say that what Sam Bear is saying is, is wrong and that he shouldn't, he shouldn't be so cocky. At the same time, I can sort of see where he's coming from. That his team have drilled this, they've planned this, they've practiced this, they've they've put in the training, and they're now going to execute it on the road, only to get de- taken out by some neo who's just who's just sort of pushed them out of the way when they're the ones with the pedigree. So I don't know, tricky one. But uh, I think on our side, if we were in that position as a neo pro, being at the um, front end of a bike race towards the end, and we've got a sprint on us. You're going to look for every single little either mistake, weakness or opportunity that you can to to try and get that big win off of the, the big guys in the sprint. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I haven't actually heard the podcast, but from what I've done, what, what Gray said, it appears that that's been the way in the peloton um, for however many years. Um, so I don't, I don't know if that's, if that's the way they do it. And 
that's the way they do it. I, I can understand. I can see. I, I sort of, I see what I, <laughs> uh, being very unhelpful, but I sort of, I completely understand both, both sides. I mean, both sides have good points and bad. Yeah. That's why I wanted to raise it. It was an interesting point. I mean, I've got nothing at Sammy Bennett at all. You know, he seems a nice enough guy. He's earned his right to be there at the front of the peloton. Um, he's obviously earned the green jersey. He's won it at fair and square. Uh, it was just that notion of respect where they're talking about other riders. And I thought, well, you were that rider two or three years ago with Bora bullying your way in. And if someone's going to bully their way in, then aren't they the next you in two or three years' time? Like, if if, if everyone else just lets De Koenig, you know, send seven men up the road in the last K, uh, what's the fucking point? But if someone bullies their way in and gets that, gets that third, gets that fourth, interrupts that sprint chain, or someone like Trek, well, they've got no sprint around, but they ruin the De Koenig or, or Goffinis sprint trains, and they take second and third, well, tactics of... Have worked, haven't they? Yeah, I think it comes down to how the teams ride it. If a team genuinely has no sprinter and they've just gone up the front to say, "Look at us, we're on camera," and then they disrupt De Koenig, I think that is disrespectful to the leadout trains because they're not gaining any from anything from that, and they're actually taking things away from De Koenig. But if it's a straight, um sprinters team against sprinters team like Lotto and De Koenig, then they've got every right to kind of disturb each other and give maybe a respectful little elbow between each other. Yeah, so like the um the just the discrepancy seemed to be against like, you know, a guy they've never heard of just getting in the way. Like, well at one point Sam Bennett was a man nobody heard of. Exactly, yes. They've got to start you know, these riders have to start somewhere. Sorry, I've got hiccups. These riders have to start somewhere. And the first time they do that is the first time they get noticed. And then, you know, four got, months if later. They've got the speed to get up, get up to, you know, alongside the Deconic sprint train, and they've got every right to be there, surely, regardless of who they are. Yeah. So that, yeah, that's, that's where I am. If, if I'm riding a race, say I've ridden uh, Duarte's Lord of Landron, and it's coming to the sprint finish today, and Dukernik have got a sprint strain on, and I can get on Morkov's wheel ahead of Sam Bennett. Well, that's Sam Bennett's fucking problem, isn't it? I've earned the right to be there. I'm, cl- I'm clearly there. I've not just turned up for the last 5K. I have done all the other kilometres in the race, and I'm on a team that's qualified to be there. That's his fucking problem for not being good enough or not being smart enough. Because it's not, at the end of the day, it's not a group ride. You're not going <laughs> to yeah. just say, oh, you can have the wheel. I'll just go behind you. As soon as you see that gap, you go for the gap. That's yeah. rule number one of any racing in any type of form of that it takes. If you see a gap and an opportunity to take the win, be that from taking somebody else's train or just plain going and doing it yourself, you take the opportunity. Exactly. Is that respect on stage uh, 12 of the Tour de France where they see the guy in the green jersey and thinking, oh no, I'll let him have the wheel because he's in the green jersey. Oh, he should win this. He's the best sprinter. No, bollocks. You get yourself in a position and try and take points off him, don't you? Because that might be you in the green jersey. 
Because then that's yeah. the opposite of it. Because in the interview, Sam was saying that he doesn't want other teams to focus on him. But then he would probably lose if, say, like the DSM team were, they were kind of looking around for Sam Bennett at Paris Nice. And then Case Bowl managed to win. So if they actually forget about Sam Bennett and um, go against well, everything and just do their own sprint, they can win yeah. that way. But then also, if you're going it straight against them, you're always going to try and maybe send a rider to just give him a little bit of a, a harder time. It, that does seem one of those weird things about uh, cycling uh, jersey classification holders that the guys in, the, especially like the especially the yellow and maybe the green, not so much like the polka dots, that the guys in the jerseys want the respect but also they are the target they are the guys you're trying to beat yeah but you could say there's a there's, there's a degree of sportsmanship about it you don't want to win it because you want to win it because you're the better rider which i think is what the where the yellow the respect for the yellow jersey comes in where like we saw with the fruit nibbly thing where and nibbly attacked when fruit ran the cackle which i is it's probably illegal and no problems with it in the sport no rules that you can't is this a bit way. like where Verstappen went past hamilton on yeah, yeah well yeah it's actually that's actually very good ironically a very good uh <laughs> segue to that yeah um he he broke the rule way well, well to be fair in that in that instance you know, he did break the rule technically and probably would have got a a penalty, but it's, it's, it's the principle of it as well. You know, you want to win it on the road. You don't want to win it just because on technicality. But then again, the name on the trophy is still the same, isn't it? Yeah, and as I say, and there's no rules that you can't. As you say, the rule, the, the name is stay, the name on the trophy is exactly the same. It's just that you you still know that you did it slightly, like you slightly got it. In, you got it in there. It wasn't because you were better it's because there was a little loads of technicality you mate had a punch yeah 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 exactly like it, it just doesn't feel the same you know um, i can you, see, I can you see are... that slightly more with like a yellow jersey where you know say it's uh, you know me and garrett thomas up the road and he punctured i'm like well this is the chance to go isn't it and you kind of yeah respect. There is, it's not a rule. It's on. It's on a rule. You do not attack the yellow jersey when he's got a puncture, even though it would seem the logical thing to do. That the leader of the race has got a problem. Now is a really fantastic time to go and gain some time. But it's just not the sporting thing, and that's the way the sport has been for God knows how many years. And it appears from what you know, you, you said and what they may have said on the podcast with what Thomas and uh, Bennett says that that's been the way for years and years and years. That's just that's just the way that's just the way it goes. Um, the Neos will still get their opportunity. There, I mean, it comes. It actually comes down to the fact that I don't actually think lead-out trains are so effective these days. I mean, to ironically, the Deconing train well, has been really successful recently, and also, as I said before, the uh, FTJ train at the Giro was very, very successful. But as we you see, a lot more races won by sort of solo anarchists, sort of going for it, or maybe there's one rider, one or two riders. I mean. Uh, Caleb Ewan and Roger Kluger seem to have done some pretty cool stuff and it's just been like them two at the end of the race so um, I think there's still many opportunities for Neo to do to do a job and as you say I mean, like, for a Neo to get noticed you don't, not, it doesn't necessarily need to be a win you can get a podium um, and so I mean 
so if, even if Sam Bennett wins, you, you can still get second and third, and that's almost as good as a win. But coming to second, Sam Bennett is pretty damn good these days. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, it does come the fact that there's you need the respect in the group. You as the pro peloton, everyone respects each other. I'm assuming it comes to the point where you have to not respect them that you're just going to let them win, but you have to respect them enough to keep everyone safe. Unlike what um, Nasbani did to Jake Stewart, I think that's where the line goes. If you're putting people in danger, um, that's when you need to have respect for your fellow riders. Well then, any other business? Tour of Flanders at the weekend? Oh, I'm really excited for that. My second favourite monument. Very excited. Oh, okay. Second favourite. What's, what's your five in order? Uh, Roubaix, Flanders, Flanders. Uh, Roubaix, Flanders. San Remo. Oh, what's that one? Oh, National. Yeah, Liège, San Remo, Lombardy. And then Strada. Actually, Strada goes first, but it's not a monument. Not a monument, yeah. Uh, yeah, Lombardy is probably last for everybody, isn't it? Just because. Wait, yeah. when Paris Roubaix? We don't uh, know. Weeks? It's still kind yeah, of. Yeah, maybe in the air. In two weeks. But... That's the best race on the calendar, except for the tour. That's my favourite race. Oh, well, is is it... one, day, one day is my favourite, 100%. Is it going to be a wet Paris Roubaix if it happens? I feel kind of bad, but it's also going to be interesting. I think the last time I heard someone mention it, it was going to rain on the 9th. Uh, Roubaix would have been the 11th if it goes ahead. Thanks for listening to QuickLink Podcast, your daily microdose of pro cycling news, results, opinion and chat. We'll be back tomorrow with another show. But in the meantime, you can hear all of our previous episodes at quicklinkpod.co.uk and find us across social media at quicklinkpod. If fantasy cycling is your thing, our Velo Games show league code is 5727329171. Like and subscribe, rate and review, and we'll see you tomorrow. Bye now.